We're starting a new series this morning entitled Living Abundantly. You know, we talk about abundant living. Jesus said this. He said, the, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so many times people talk about that abundant life and they, they make it into all kinds of other things. And they say, well, an abundant life means that you're going to be prosperous financially. Or it might mean that you're, you have abundance in this area or that area. And, and maybe sometimes those are parts of it. But, but listen, I know this that somebody in the poorest nation of the, of the world in Haiti living in, in poverty can still live an abundant life because an abundant life has much more to do with, with our relationship with God and the way that we interact in the world because of that. You know, G Jesus came not just so you could live, but so that your life would be full and your life would be meaningful. And, and there are certain things that blossom out of the life that we find when we follow Jesus. And in Galatians, the Apostle Paul describes the characteristics, I believe, of that full and abundant life that Jesus came to bring. And, and we know these characteristics as the fruit of the Spirit. And, we, and for the next several weeks, we're going to examine the fruit of the Spirit. And, we're, and in doing so, what we're really going to be doing is we're going to learn what it means to live abundantly. Because to live abundantly means that I live in the fruit of the Spirit, that I live like Jesus, that, I, that my life reflects Him and His glory and who He is. That's what an abundant life is. And this week, we're going to be, begin with the first of the fruit of the Spirit as listed by the Apostle Paul, and that is love. Love. So turn in your Bible to Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to be, begin reading in verse 16, because Paul gives us a contrast of the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to back up and we're going to begin reading in verse 16, Galatians chapter 5. This is what he says. I say then, walk in the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I tell you about, about these things in advance, and as, as I told you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, or, or some translations say faithfulness, which is accurate, uh, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. Go back to verse 22, just that first line says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that in the next few minutes that your spirit would, would commune with our spirits deep within. Lord, that uh, uh, but, but just you would move by your power inside of us and in, in our innermost being, Lord. And Lord, I'm, I'm believing that, that when we leave here today, that every man, woman, boy and girl will say today, the God of love has spoken to me and I'll never be the same. I believe you for that. And I pray this in the authority that's found in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. 
Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You know, I, I think that if, if we began to poll 10 million people and ask them, what do you want more of in your life? What would you like uh, uh, in more abundance in your life? There are many, many people who might say money or they might say power. Or they might say, I want more fame or they might say, I want more cars. But I, I really believe deep in my heart that the most common answer that we would get, if, if we got real answers from people, would be that I need an abundance of love. I want more love in my life. Now, the problem is that we live in a society, in a culture that has largely misplaced any valid concept of love. I love you are, the, are three of the most powerful and important words that can be said between human beings, and yet they are so often misstated, misunderstood, and misapplied. The husband may say to the wife, I love you, but what he really means is I'm lonely and afraid, and I've reached midlife, and I don't know what's going to become of me, and I wish to high heaven that my mother was here, but she's not, and, and, and so you'll have to do. The wife says back to the husband, I love you too. And what she may really mean is I'm so starved for meaningful male attention. I just want somebody to love me, anybody, a dog, a turtle, something, anybody, but you'll have to do. The teenage boy may say to his father, I love you. What he may really mean is, can I borrow the car tonight? The teenage girl may say to her mother, I love you, but what she really means is, I lost your credit card and I have no idea where it is and I'm scared to death to tell you because I don't want you to kill me. The boyfriend may say to his girlfriend, I love you, but what he may really mean is, will you sleep with me? The girlfriend may say to her boyfriend, I love you too. And what she may really mean is my ego is so bruised and battered and neglected by an unloving society, culture, and family around me that I'm willing to allow myself to be used in the backseat of a car just so that I can pretend for a little while that somebody, even you, loves me. And I know that may sound cynical and skeptical to you about human nature, but I want to say to you that we, we live in a society that has lost the fuller and the grander implications of the phrase, I love you. They boil it down, Hollywood boils it down to, I love you means it's time to jump in bed together. That's what our world has boiled it down to. And I think we need to start by asking this simple question, what is love? I think you can't talk about, in our culture, you cannot talk about love without defining what it is. And, and, and love is not a special way of feeling. That's what our world will tell us it is. But love is volitional goodwill. Now, what does that mean? That is to say that love is a manner, matter of my will. It's volitional. It's a matter of my choice. Love is a matter of my choice. And if it is goodwill, then it is to will good, to will good things for someone else. So when we say God loves me, that means that God wills good for me. Therefore, love is not a way that I feel. Love is anchored in principle and in conviction. It's, it's not a wind-blown feeling, a drift on a stormy sea of my emotions, 
And, and this is so important because if, if I love you only means I feel great, uh, gushy, romantic love for you. If, if I love you means only means you look beautiful or if I love you only means you make me feel good. If I love you only means that I have butterflies in my stomach right now because you gave me a dozen roses. If, if I love you is nothing more than a feeling than, than, that I experience in a moment, then it is the most fragile temporary, unenduring, and unimportant emotion of all of the emotions. If that's all that love means, then a new car can mean love. If that's all love means, then a flower means love. If, all, if that's all that love means, then a poem written on a piece of paper that will turn yellow and rot means love. But love means so much more than that. Love is a choice. We've heard that said so many times in our lifetimes, but we, it's become a cliche. We need to know it is a choice. Love, let me put it this way. Love is a diligent, applied act of my own will for the good of someone else. I'm going to say it again. Love is a diligent, applied act of my own will for the good of someone else. We see this truth in the very character and nature of God. I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 4. I want you to see it. This is very important. 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to begin reading in verse 7. By the way, I believe this Wednesday we're going to start a new Bible study. We just finished Ruth. We're going to start looking at the epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And I think you're going to really love it if you'll join us. But 1 John 4 verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Look at verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his, his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Do you see that? God made a choice. He made a choice to send his son. God chose to love. He didn't just say, well, I just feel so good about humanity today. They're, they're all behaving so well. Nobody's making war on anybody. Everybody's being so nice. And I just feel good about humanity. And, and today I'm just filled with love because I feel good about humanity. And then, you know, what if God woke up the next day and said, man, I woke up today with such a headache and my blood pressure is too high and my blood sugar is too low. And, 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 and I woke up this morning just angry at humanity. I don't like any of them and I don't love you. That would be horrible if love was nothing more than the whim of an emotion. We, we want God's love to be pure and undiluted and unchanging and unending. But we want God's love to be unchanging, but we don't, we don't necessarily think about wanting that kind of love for each other. In, in defining love in relationship to God, God's character, as we see in 1 John uh, chapter 4, we see that it is a choice that God has made. Look at verse 9 that same chapter. We read it a moment ago. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son and as, a, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, in other words, if God loved us like this, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Look at verse 13. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. 
God wills good for us at personal cost. It costs Him to act in love. It costs God to send His only Son. It costs God to choose to, to love the world. It costs God to redeem and, re and ransom fallen humanity. It costs God to purchase us back from the bondage of sin and death. Yet, yet, yet God made the choice, and in that choice, his love was manifested for us. Therefore, John says, if we want to know the abundance of Jesus's life in us, we receive it through the power of the Holy Spirit, which enables us to make those kind of choices in our lives. Now, now when we talk about love, what is the contrast in the flesh? The contrast uh, in the flesh is a counterfeit love. And this is what we see all through our, uh, throughout our culture. This is the love that says, I love you but really means I want to use you and I only, only want you in my life for what you bring to me. This is a counterfeit love. F false love is need-oriented. Real love is giving-oriented. I'm going to say it again. False love is need-oriented. Real love is giving-oriented. False love says, meet my needs. But true love says, let me meet your needs. All the single people that are, that are in the listening or, or watching this on, live stream, on the live stream, this, listen, this may be the most important thing that I will ever say to you about our interpersonal relationships. Do not run the risk of saying to yourself, this boy loves me because we're dancing together in the moonlight and he's so handsome and I'm so beautiful and, and the violins are playing and he's given me roses and we've been out to eat in this fancy restaurant. Now I know he loves me. Listen, if that's how you approach it, you are asking for a lifetime of pain because that's not real love, that's romance. And, and that's the way God gets us together. It's okay, there's nothing wrong with romance. You need that. In fact, you need that even if you've been married for 50 years. You need that. But that's not real love. Listen, young ladies, before you say, I know he loves me because he takes me out to eat, or, oh, I know he loves me because he dances with me, or, oh, I know he loves me because he tells me that he loves me, or I know he loves me because he kisses me in the dark or any other thing. Listen to me. Ask yourself this question. When I'm 75 years old and I have bad knees and I've had a hip replacement and I'm 45 pounds overweight, will this guy push my wheelchair? I don't know what somebody said, but it must have been good because we got some laughs back there. Ask yourself, when I am sick and afflicted, when I'm hurting and wounded and lonely, when things are bad, when we're up against the wall, when we're both unemployed, when recession comes, when depression comes, when we're separated by time or space, will he love me then? Ask yourself some real questions. Don't, don't ask yourself whether, whether or not he tells you that you're beautiful. Let, let me, in fact, let me give you a, a really good bit of advice. Watch how that young man treats his mother. Oh, you're not going to like this. These young men are going to like this. The boy sitting next to the young woman right now is saying, don't listen to him. He's lying. <laughs> right? but, but the way he treats his mother is a dead giveaway about, about the way he's going to treat you when you look like her. And boys, 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 listen. Listen to an old man. I have, and I'm getting older all the time, which is not, I'm not complaining, it beats the alternative, but, but uh, I have a word of wisdom for you. I love you because you're so handsome is the hollowest, most pathetic, 
stupid compliment that's ever been given to a boy and all it does is feed your ego and it has nothing to do with love. Boys, li- listen to me. I want you, all the young men in this room today, I want you to do something right. I want you to put your, put your hand right up here on your head, right here in the front of your head. Come on, man. Come on. You do this for me. Do this for me. All right. You, 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 all right. Go on. Feel that. You put your hand right up there. You, you feel that hair up there? Here, feel that hair? Say bye-bye. Say, <laughs> go ahead. Do it. Say bye-bye. Bye-bye. Because that's, that's going to be gone one day probably. And don't ask you if she loves you because of the way you cut your hair and the way you look. Ask yourself, will she still love me and take care of me when I have no hair at all? See, we're not talking about an emotional rush here. We're talking about making choices. We're talking about making choices that will keep on being made when, even when they don't feel good, even when they don't satisfy us, even when they don't get me anything in return, even when there's no payoff. A man wrote about seeing an elderly couple at the mall, and the lady was sitting in a wheelchair. She'd had some sort of stroke or something, and and she was sitting in a wheelchair with a strap across her lap to hold her in the wheelchair. And she was completely out of it. She didn't know anything that was going on. Her, her mouth was open uh, from, from that stroke. And there was a little bit of saliva coming out of her mouth. And her husband was just pushing her down the mall. And he was talking to her like she was getting every word that he said. They're walking down the mall. And he said, oh, oh, look, honey, look in that store. Oh, my goodness, isn't that a beautiful dress? Oh, you'd look so pretty in that dress. I read about that man pushing his wife down the mall and speaking like that and tears came to my mind, to my eyes and I, I thought to myself, I wish every teenager in America could watch these two old people walking down the mall and I could say to them, love is not dancing in the moonlight, that's love right there. Love is not two people meeting each other and two days later jumping in bed, that's love right there. Love is, 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 is real, that's, that's real love, that's a love that endures. Counterfeit love, how, oh, how dangerous it is. Real love is giving-oriented. Real love is selfless. Real love is giving. Real love is dying to yourself. Real love is doing without so that someone can have something that they need. Real love is the, the mother that eats the wing of the chicken year after year after year so that her children can have the good parts and the children don't know and they don't care. Real love is parents who do without so their parents can have, so their children can have gifts at Christmas time. Real love is not romance. I'm so grateful for romance. I love the romance of marriage and the, and, and the courtship and all those things. But real love is enduring hard choices when the choices make no sense and bring nothing to you. You know, Pastor, I heard tell a story about how time when he counseled with a couple. And he said it was the most painful counseling he had ever been through. He wasn't able to help them at all. The couple ended up getting divorced in spite of his counseling. And the girl left. She divorced her husband. She, she, had, she kept having multiple affairs, one man after another. He would come home and find them in the house. And she had gone to motels with other men. And this girl looked at the pastor and she said, I, I want you to listen to this because this is what, this is what society has done. She said... I just don't understand this narrow-minded, legalistic Christian business about giving my love to just one man. She said, I have so much love that I want to share my love with more than one man. And the pastor looked at her and said, young lady, you have no idea what love is about. 
You've never even begun to see love. You, you don't even comprehend the beginning of love. You, you, you've not even seen love even from a distance. Love is not stolen sex. Love is not adultery. Love is not lust. Love is not demanding animal satisfaction. Love is sacrifice. Love is waiting. Love is giving. Love is yielding. Love is doing without so that another might be edified and built up and, 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 and restored. He said, young lady, you are destroying your husband. You're emasculating him. He's demoralized, beaten, and whipped. He said it's going to take the church and the, and the pastor and, the, and the God and God and the power of the Holy Spirit years to rebuild what you've destroyed in him. And she looked at him and she said to that pastor, no, you're the one. You don't understand modern love. And the pastor said, oh, young lady, there's no such thing as modern love or old love. You look at me and you think I'm old and I don't understand anything about romantic love, but I'm married to a woman that looks like a million bucks and I think that the, that the girl just walks on air. I think she's wonderful. I think she's so beautiful. I adore her. He said, we've been married for 25 years and I absolutely worship the ground that she walks on, but it is more than that. I know that if I was crippled in a car wreck tomorrow, I know she would be there. I know that, that, that if, I, if I were rendered, rendered in insensible by a stroke tomorrow I know that she would be there he said love is not just the fact that she kisses me and makes me feel good enduring love real love is the love that spoke light into into, into existence real love is the is the love that scooped clay up out of a riverbank and breathed life into it Real love is the love that made the Garden of Eden and deposited love there. God gave Adam, Eve to Adam and said, love her. And he gave Adam to Eve and said, love him. Love is from God and it is eternal. Don't talk to me about modern love. You know, Abraham and Sarah, they, they understood love. Abraham and Sarah, even though they had their bumps along the way, sometimes caused by Abraham, like when he, when he would say, all right, lie to them and tell them you're my sister. I'm, listen, that's just a bad idea. That's just a bad idea because years later in every argument, that's going to come up. Oh, yeah, you remember the time you, you said to Sal, tell everybody it was your sister. Anyway, they had their bumps, sometimes caused by Abraham, sometimes caused by Sarah. But you know what? They, they, they understood. They had the, maybe the greatest love affair in perhaps of all of human history. Love is, is, even, is so much greater. Love is Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, making the hard choice, saying, not my will, but thine be done. Take me, he said, and let these go free. Do you want to understand love? Don't talk about modern love or old-fashioned love because there's really only real love and false love. How can we detect, detect though, the lack of love in our lives? This is so fundamental, so important. Here's the first one. An, an inability to make sacrificial choices is a dead giveaway that we do not have love. Now, I can make legalistic choices. I, I can draw a line in the dirt and, and say, step across that and you're done for. Those kind of hard choices don't require love uh, because without love, I, I can make hard choices where, where I demand my way. Without love, though, I cannot make hard choices that allow someone else to win at my expense. Second one is a lack of love causes, causes self-absorption. Boy, if this is not a picture of our world today, 
We are so, as a society, as a culture, we are so self-absorbed. It's all about us and how I feel and what I want and what, you know, all this stuff. A lack of love causes us to be so concerned with self, to be filled with self-pity, self-centered, self-aggrandizing, constantly the center of everything. There, there was a funeral some years ago for a woman who had died. She got very uh, sick very, very suddenly and passed away rather quickly. And in the course of her sickness and death, her husband was just shattered. He was just devastated. And he was left with three small children. Well, this woman had a teenage niece that came to the funeral. And, and at the funeral, this girl just absolutely made herself the center of attention for the fu whole funeral. Oh, she said, I don't know what I'm going to do without my aunt. I, she said, I don't know this, I don't know that. She was talking at the top of her lungs and just putting on a great show. And the, the pastor who was officiating the funeral realized that the girl was just absolutely performing, drawing attention to herself. She was standing there next to the coffin with her grieving un uncle and three little children standing there weeping and crying. And, and she, this girl, this teenage girl, was just performing. She, she's putting on her funeral performance to, to get attention and pity from all the people there. And the, the pastor eventually led her aside and took her out in a hallway and said, young lady, let, let me tell you something if I can. He said, this is not about you. You're not the star of this play. This is about that man, that uncle, your uncle, and those three little kids and that woman who has died. And you're going to have to step off the stage. Quit acting and let them find the love and the solace and the comfort that they need. You're standing in the light. Well, no surprise, she was furious. She was just absolutely livid. But you know what? I believe that there are, that there are people who go through events, and circumstances, and situations where, where other people are hurting or grieving or lo uh, 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 losing something. And, and they're, they're going through all kinds of disaster. And that whole situation only makes sense to them as it relates to them. Self-absorption, constant self-consciousness. How do I look? How is this affecting me? What's this going to cost me? What's, what is this going to do for me? That, that self-absorption is a real, it's a dead giveaway for a lack of love. Another dead giveaway for lack of love is coldness to, to God, to the things of God, and to the people of God. You know, why is it that we repent so earnestly with such passionate brokenness over sins that we've committed? Rightfully so. I mean, we say, I've committed adultery, and we weep and cry and ask God for forgiveness. Or we say, I've stolen, and then we weep and cry out to God, oh, God, have mercy on me, or, or I've committed, you know, murder, and God says, oh, God, forgive me. We weep and cry out to God in real brokenness over all kinds of sins. But why don't we repent with earnest brokenheartedness over a lack of love? I believe that the reason we don't weep in repentance over the lack of love is that we don't really believe that it is the monstrous sin that God said it is. Let me ask you this question. What, according to Jesus, what is the number one command of all the commandments of the Bible? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, with everything we are, with everything that, that we will ever be. We are commanded by God to love God with all that we are and with all that we have, right? And yet to, to break a lesser commandment causes us 
grief and attacks of conscience, but to break the greatest commandment of all doesn't seem to bother us. If someone asked you this morning and you had to answer truthfully, if your heart was just broken open for all the world to see what was inside and the truth was revealed, do you love God passionately? Do, Do you love God with all of your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength? Are you fixed on Him? Are your affections fastened on God? Do you love Him more than you love your possessions? Do you love Him more than any other relationship in your life? Do you love Him enough to make the hardest choices imaginable? If your heart were were broken open and you had to see the truth and everyone else could see the truth right now, do you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Here's the thing. Unless the answer to that is yes, then we're in a state of sin. Do you understand that? We're in a state of disobedience to God's will. Because he said, you shall love the Lord your God. That's not hints for happy living. This is the law of God. You shall love. Now, here's the thing. If if love is nothing more than emotion, how can you make yourself have an emotion? This is one of the things that shows us that love is so much more than just a feeling butterflies in the stomach. Love is a choice that we make. God's not going to command us to do something that is outside of our ability to do. We can choose to love God that way. And yet we blithely ignore signs that, 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 that this is a re- reality in our lives. You know, the, we don't love the things of God. We don't love worship services. We don't love the word. We don't love prayer. We don't love Christians. We don't love our fellow man. We have no passion for the things of God. They're, they're clues that we do not really love God. And listen, we need to know that a lack of love is a plague that causes untold damage in our own lives and to the people around us. You know, the, the church at Ephesus, was you read about it in the New Testament, it was birthed in a revival of love. In Acts chapter 19, there, there was an outpouring of love. People loved God more than they loved their possessions. They loved God more than they loved their pagan past. They, they actually melted down their silver idols and, 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 and then they poured that out into the gutters of the city of Ephesus. There, there was a revival of love, an outpouring of love. Only a few years later, Paul writes back to them in the letter to the Ephesians and he admonishes them. He says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. He says, I want you to be rooted in love and really understand how great God's love really is. And it's as if maybe they're beginning to forget the love that they knew in the early days of the revival. And then then only a few years after that, Jesus, through John the Revelator, in the second chapter of the book of Revelation, speaks to the church in Ephesus. And the church that began in, in the white hot heat of revival in a passionate outpouring of love is now being told by Jesus in the second chapter of Revelation. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. All that is powerful. That's wonderful, isn't it? 
Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. He's saying, listen, you're doing all the right things. You're doing all the right things, but there's no heart of love in it. And he says to them, you've lost your first love. He says, repent. And if you don't repent, oh, oh, listen to these words. If you don't repent, I will remove your lampstand from this place. I will take away the light of my presence. God forbid that that should ever happen. You know, I know churches in America that used to know the love of God and used to flow in the aisles like latter-day rain. There was a love for God, a love for the things of God, a love for people. And I know churches in America that have grown cold and judgmental and legalistic and have be, begun to argue and bicker and lose their first love. And I believe if Jesus appeared at the altars of those churches with nail-scarred hands outstretched, He would say to them, Repent! Repent! I, love me! Love me again! What happened to your love? Why don't you love me anymore? Love me! And I believe in response, many people would stand up in those churches and say, they would say, wait, hey, wait a minute. Well, we, we attend Sunday school. And he would say, I, I know that and, and I appreciate that, but love me. And he would say, I, 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 they would say, well, I'm a tither. I, I tithe 10% faithfully. And he'd say, I know all about that. I appreciate that. But do you love me? They'd say, oh, I've been good. I've been so good, in fact, that, I'm, that I've been miserable for 20 years. He said, do you love me? Do you love me? The cry of Jesus to his church at this hour is for real love, not for all the actions, not for, the, for longing for other things, but, but to say, I, do, I, I want to do these things. I want to live the right way. I want to let my life you know, uh, reflect him, but I want to do it because I love him. Because I love him. There's infinite damage done by a lack of love. Wounds to others. Death to my spirit. Death to my prayer life. Because I don't pray if I'm not in love with Jesus. Listen to this now. A lack of love makes us undependable and untrustworthy. Specifically, lack of love for God makes us undependable and untrustworthy. The person without the love of God is not to be dependent upon because being trustworthy depends not merely on the fact that I love you, but on the fact that I love God. Any woman that says, I know my husband will not cheat on me because he loves me. Let me tell you, she's living in a fool's paradise because his dependability, his trustworthiness is based on the fact that he loves God and he wants to please him. That's what, that's what keeps him faithful. It's a different story if she can say, I know that my husband will not cheat on me because he loves God. You see this? If that man places his wife in a place that should belong to God, that, then she can never satisfy the longings of his heart, and he may eventually go looking for something or someone else to fill his soul. But when Jesus fills the hole in his heart that only he can fill, then he finds satisfaction and joy in loving Jesus. It's that love that keeps him faithful to his wife. It's the fact that he loves God that keeps him faithful to his wife. 
If I say I know my employees will do what I'm asking because I'm paying them, no. If I, I know that my employees will do what I want for them because they respect and admire me, no. I want to be able to say I know that whether I watch my employees or not, whether my personal eyes are staring at them, they will do what they are paid to do because they are filled with the love of God that makes hard choices. The love of God that wills God, whether or not it's being watched every minute or not. So what are the results of love? What are the results of love? Well, number one, you'll become grace-motivated, not law-motivated. Love allows you to know the difference between mountains and molehills. You know what I mean? The, the loveless legalist sees one speck in an eye as an insurmountable barrier, but the man who is filled with love sees a mountain as an opportunity for grace. In disciplining our children, the, the loveless disciplinarian says, all right, you've spilled a grain of sugar. You've made a mess here. That's it. You're going to spend the night in the doghouse. You're going to pay the price I told you to never spill anything again. But the parent who is filled with love knows the difference between an accident and willful disobedience. Love allows us to sort through it and prior, prioritize those matters of importance only love knows the difference between a mountain and a molehill. Another thing that happens is that others are affirmed and set free when I'm filled with love. People with love want everyone, or excuse me, people without love want everyone in their lives, everyone else, to become dwarfs. They want them to be small. They want to hold them down. People without love, they... They, they, they want everyone else in their love to become emotionally bound to them. People without love want to possess the people in life instead of setting them free to grow. When I was a kid, there was another kid that wanted to be my friend, but it was always kind of confusing to me because, and maybe you've known somebody like this, but this boy was, was a good friend to me, but every time I would be nice to anybody else, this guy would, would go into about a three-week sulk, you know? And he was just destroyed because of it and I just couldn't figure it out he'd say he'd say I thought you were my friend and I'd say well I, I I am your friend I like you let's go play something and uh, and he'd say no you're not my friend I'd say yes I am he said no you're you're not my friend you're Jeff's friend well yeah I, I am Jeff's friend uh well you're Bob's friend too yes well well, I am. Yes, that's true. Well, what about Bill? Well, yeah, Bill too. And, and I'm your friend too. What, what's all this about? He said, you don't like me. He'd say, I'd say, I do like you at least for about five more minutes if this keeps going. I'm not sure. I can't guarantee after that. But, you know, looking back, I realized what he wanted to do was bring me into his own bondage. It was not about friendship that was that was beneficial to either one of us. It was about he he was not loving me because he only wanted my friendship for what it brought to him. Do you see that? He, 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 he didn't have the love to set me free. He only wanted to possess me. Love doesn't possess. Love sets free. Love releases. Love wants the other person to enjoy other relationships. Love wants the other person to grow. Love affirms. Love liberates. Therefore, what is the work of love in relationships? Love brings wholeness. Which brings wholesomeness, which brings goodness. And where love rules, goodness grows. People get better in the light of love, but they get bitter in the lack of love.
When love is the law of the house, people want to be better. Kids want to behave. They want to go to church. They want to be part of the things of God. Now, listen, I understand there are going to be those momentary glitches. There are going to be those childhood rebellions. There's going to be those adolescent hiccups where things go haywire for a while. And there's going to be all of that. And that's when we as parents, you know, you have to sort of hold on and ride through those moments. You know, some people say that's the seven years of tribulation, the years between 13 and 20. Uh, you, you just have to ride through that. There, there's going to be some of that, but, but listen to me. I've got good news for you this morning. It's only temporary insanity. <laughs> They're going to grow, and if we can love them right through and, and know that they, when to hold on and know when to let go and know when to release them, they're going to make it through. And the Lord has to help us to have that wisdom. But every, every kid's going to go through that. Let, let love be the thing that carries you through and motivates them. I, I, I believe love allows people to grow in goodness. But lovelessness will make people bitter and rebellious. What happens in the kingdom when we grow in love? Well, love drives faith. Love is the power by which faith works. There's, there's a verse in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, one of the most powerful and overlooked, often overlooked passages in all the Bible. It says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. In other words, the law won't work and the lawlessness is of no use. He says, But only faith working through love. You have to have some gas in the engine of faith to drive it. There, there, there are people who are trying to live by faith. They're trying to confess it right and do it right and generate faith and motivate faith. And they have no love, so they just can't seem to get that airplane off the ground. It's because faith works by love. The more love you have, the better your faith works. It oils the joints of faith. It's the power plant of faith. Faith works by love. Furthermore, in the kingdom of God, loving God more than life unleashes the power of victory. Revelation 12, 11, powerful verse that says, and they have conquered him, talking about the enemy, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Loving God more than life allows me to walk in the power of victory. If I love God more than I fear death, then I'm going to make decisions that will honor Him even if it costs me my life. That lets, that lets me walk in freedom because what can you do to me? The worst you can do is kill me. But I love God more than that. So it frees me up. Loving God more than life allows me to walk in the power of victory. If I love God more than I love my friends at school, then I have victory at school. If I love God more than I love my business, then I have victory even during times of recession. If I love God more than I love my reputation and status, then I have victory over the temptation of materialism. If I love God more than I love the demands of my flesh, then I have victory over the lust of the flesh. Loving God is the key to overcoming anything in your life. And finally, love glorifies God through the church. Love glorifies God through the church. God wants to show himself to the world through us. I'm going to say something to you that if you think about it, if you'll take this to heart, I believe this is a very, very sobering thought for us as the people of God. Here it is. 
There are people watching us, watching your life, watching how you live, watching you do business at your work, watching how, you, how your kids act at school, watching how you treat your family, how you treat your spouse, how you treat other people. And they're, they're watching us and they're making up their minds, not only about the church and about Christians, but they are watching us and they're making up their minds about who God is. They're making deep, profound, powerful decisions about what God is like by watching our lives. And when we walk in love, love glorifies God. Love shows forth the wonder and the beauty and the grace of Almighty God. I remember when I was studying under Dr. Mark Rutland, he told a story of a time when he and his wife attended a very a large convention. It, was, it had been... He called it, he said it was a Holy Ghost hootenanny. It was just a great time. There had been music and preaching and everything that can happen in Pentecostal meaning that had happened. But as they started to make their way, he and his wife started to make their way back out to, the, to their car. Dr. Rutland's wife said as they're walking, she said, you know, I just felt like something was missing. And he said, well, my goodness, what, what could have been missing? They, they had everything but a flying saucer landing. What in the world could have been missing? And she said, I don't know. I just feel like there was something missing. Well, when they, they got out to their car, which was not parked in the main parking lot. They were actually parked out on, on the street next to the location. And as they neared their car, they saw there were these two drunks sitting on the hood of their car with a bottle of wine and a brown paper sack. Well, Dr. Rutland turned to his wife and he saw someone a short distance away that, he, that they knew. And he, and he said to his wife, would you, would you just go down there? Uh, and stand with our friends for just a few moments. I, I just feel like I want to talk with these fellows. So she went and stood with her friends. And Dr. Rutland just, he went to his car and he just got up on the hood of his car between those two men. And first thing, he, he opened the conversation by saying, reckon whose car this is? And they said, we don't know. He said, well, do you, do you think they'll mind? And they said, who cares? He said, well, what are you guys doing? They said, what are you talking about? We're just sitting up here getting drunk. He said, well, is it fun? No, no, it's not much fun. So, and Dr. Rutland said, so you don't recommend it then? He said, no, mister, I don't. I don't. You, you, you've never been drunk? Dr. Rutland said, no, I, I, I've never been drunk. I never have been. But do you think I ought to get drunk tonight? The man said, no, it, it won't do much for you. Then the men looked at him and they said, what, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm just sitting here talking with you guys. And all of a sudden, as he was talking with them, the, Dr. Rutland was overwhelmed with just a sense of love for these two men. He, he had never seen them before in his life. He didn't even know their names yet, but he loved them. And when that happened, he turned to the man on his right and he said, friend, I, I just, I have the strangest feeling Something just come over me. I have the strangest feeling that right now your grandmother is at home praying for you. I don't even know why, but I just feel in my spirit that your grandmother is at home praying for you. And tears just came up in that man's eyes. And he said, you know, I, I left my grandmother's house this afternoon at four o'clock with, with her begging me and pleading with me not to go. Don't go downtown. Don't go, she said. And as I left, she said, I want you to know that I'm going to be down on my knees praying for you until you come home tonight. 
And Dr. Rutland looked at that man and he said, God sent me here. The Lord put me right in between you two guys and you need to receive Christ as Savior. Well, the other man, he didn't like it. He began to curse and say, go on, get, get away from here. We don't want anything to do with you. Get out of here. And, and the first man said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I need the Lord in my life. Well, the, the other man just took his bottle and the brown paper bag and stumbled off down the street. And the first man sat on the hood next to Dr. Rutland. And they, and they prayed and he prayed together. They prayed for him to receive Christ and, and they prayed for, that the power of love would deliver him and that God would, would set him free. And he got up from there and he put his arms around Dr. Rutland and he said, you know what, I'm going home and I'm going to tell my grandmother that I'm never going to drink again and he got up and left. Well, Dr. Rutland's wife came up the street with tears running down her cheeks and she said, you, you prayed with that man to receive the Lord, didn't you? And he said, yes, darling, I, I prayed with him and I prayed with him for deliverance. And she put her arms around his neck and kissed him and said, you know, it just hit me. That's what was missing in there. She said, I didn't feel the genuine concern of God for one individual lost soul. Do you want to see love? It's not going to be seen in two reprobate movie stars dancing in the moonlight and kissing on the beach. Do you want to see love? It's not going to be some pitiful, lost, demonized rock star writhing around to the music. I'll tell you what love is. Love is a man carrying a cross down the middle of a street with people spitting on him and kicking him and hurling insults at him. The wrath of the community was cascading around him and a crown of thorns was pressed into his forehead until the blood was blinding him and there were lash marks across his back so deep that his ribs showed. Love is a man being nailed to the cross and lifted up until he looks down across the humanity that has despised him and nailed him up. Love is not some movie star whispering I love you into the ear of his girlfriend. Love is a man hanging on a cross who says, Father, forgive him and her and her and him and him and her. Father, forgive them all. How may I know the love of God? You can know the love of God by yielding to the authority of Christ. By receiving his cross and the work done on the cross. And by being filled with his spirit. There is no love apart from God. And there is death and bondage, and horror, and lovelessness, and diminished life apart from Him. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And that abundant life is the life of liberating love. God wants you to have more love in your life. In fact, He died for you to have it. Now that is the Word of God. Bow your head. Pray with me. Father, I thank you, God, for your love that is so deep and wide that, that is, it's really impossible for us to co really comprehend it. But Lord, you've shown us what love is, that it's not a feeling, it's not an emotion, but it's a choice. And you made that choice when you sent your son to, to die in our place, when you sent your son to redeem us, to pay the, the penalty for our sins, 
to, to say, take me and let them go free. And we thank you for that love. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here today that doesn't know that love, that today would be the day they make that choice to say, yes, I, I surrender to you. I surrender to that love. That's what I want. I've settled for false loves. I've settled for the lives of the world. But today I want your love, God, the real thing. Because when I know the real thing, then I can live in it and I can share it with others. With heads bowed and eyes closed and there's nobody looking around. And I do that. I ask you to do that not because I'm concerned about you being embarrassed. That's not really the issue. I do that because I ask you to keep your head bowed and eyes closed because I want you to be able to shut yourself in with God and forget about any distractions around you. And I just want to know if there's anybody here today who would say, Pastor, I want you to pray with me because I know, I've known a lot about God. I've heard a lot about Jesus. But I've never entered into that relationship of love with Him. And I want to receive Christ as my Savior. I want to surrender my life because I want to know His love in a real way. And I want His love to reflect out of my life. If that's you and you'd say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to receive Christ today. Would you just slip your hand up right where you are so I can pray for you? Is there anybody? Just give you a moment. Maybe you're on the live stream. You can say, pray for me. Is there anybody? All right, then maybe, maybe there's some of us here today, today that we feel we can really relate with those Ephesian Christians. Because you can look back and you remember a moment when you were just white hot for God and you're doing all the right things because you love Jesus so much, but maybe your love has grown a little bit cold. And you just want to say, Pastor, pray for me because I want the Holy Spirit to stir up my love for Jesus. I want to go back to my first love. I want to be white hot for Jesus because I love Him. Not because I'm putting on a show, not because I'm trying to impress anybody, but just simply because I love Him. And I want to get back to my first love. If that's you, you want me to pray for you today, would you just slip your hand up right where you are? Yeah, yes, yes. Anybody else? They're all over the place. This is the earmark. One of the earmarks of being a follower of Jesus is that we live in His love. And because we know His love, we know God and we can make Him known. Let me pray for you. Father, you saw every hand that was raised. And, and Lord God, I, I think even in my own life, there's a longing, Lord God, to, to stir up that first love. God, it's so easy to keep doing all the right things even though our heart has grown colder, our love has grown colder. And it doesn't mean that we don't love you, but maybe we just don't love you with our, everything in us anymore. But our, our, our love has grown, has waned a bit. It has grown a little bit colder. And today, God, we just simply, first of all, start by saying, I repent. I confess that sin to you. I don't take it lightly, not anymore. And so, God, we repent before you. And I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would stir up that first love. Help us to go back and do those things we did at the beginning.
And God, that you would, you would just stir up the love of Christ in us again so that we'll keep doing all the right things, but we'll do it out of a heart full of love for Jesus. And I pray, God, that you'd help us to reflect that love. When people around us get on our nerves, which happens all the time, God, to us, that you remind us that you love them. You remind us that we are to reflect that love and help us to love not only you, but because of our love for you, help us to love the people around us, especially those that want to use us, especially those that abuse us. Because God, that's where we really need your help because it's not in us. It is not natural. It's not our natural response to respond in love. So I pray that you would fill us with a supernatural love. Help us to love people the way you love them. And in so doing, God, that they would see Jesus in us and we'd be able to tell them what you've done and what you can do for them. And Father, I pray that as we leave this place today that you would, you would just help us to walk in love. And as we walk in love, God, that we would make sure everybody knows the reason we love the way we do is because Christ loved us first. We pray all of these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.